on 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton, and it is just wonderful to have in the studio with us the uh, CEO of World Vision, starting uh, earlier this year, Daniel Wordsworth. How are you, Daniel? I'm well, thanks for having me. It's so good to have you in and uh, chat about the work you do. We, we love, absolutely love World Vision and the work that it happens, and certainly through this program over the years, we've talked to all sorts of people who've been connected in mm. with World Vision. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to, to you know how you are and, and where you found yourself as the CEO in a couple of minutes' time. But let's go back to your heart for caring for others. Anyone who has to have your role needs to you yeah. know have a deep care and, and concern for other people. Where did all that start? It all started actually back when I was in the Navy, when I was like 18 or 19 years of age. Um, and I was on a boat, and I read the Sermon on the Mount, actually. And I and it, as I read that, and it was just the one, where, you know, where if you have two shirts, you should give one. Blessed are the merciful. All of these sort. Of, I think really the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like the heart of the teachings of Jesus. It's like what it means to follow Jesus and what he was trying to get across in the world. And when I read that, it just struck me as the right way to live my life. And the way I understood that was that a life should be lived in service to others, and that, that as you help those who are the you know that people see as the least you're actually living that kind of life and so I just started the journey then when I was in the Navy I resigned from the Navy and I just um, started this you know started this life and that was like it's like 30 years or so later yeah incredible mm-hmm. and, and the start of that was actually just knowing that it was a real call to those who were poor yeah um, can you explain how you knew it was those who were poor you, know, you said it was about the Sermon on the Mount but yeah. um, why was it not those who were disabled or those who were why, why was it the poor well I don't know that I would have made a distinction about poor versus uh, the disabled what I I think what I understood intrinsically was that a life well li- I think what I what it gave me was just sudden like a burst of perspective right so we get one life here and at the end of it, we're going to have to give an account. Now, whether that's to a maker or whether that's just when you're 75 years old and you're just sitting on your porch, you're going to have to look back on your life and you're going to have to ask yourself the question, did I live up to my promise? And when I think about that, it just seems clear to me that, you know, if other, like I was blessed in a million different ways. Yeah. And it just struck me that there are many others who are not, and that there are many actually who are suffering on a daily basis and that a life, how, how can you get to the end of your life and not think I did something about that? And so somehow all of that just sort of came crashing in and I had a perspective on how I wanted to live my life. And I just understood it as going out and finding the least. And actually the first group of people that I worked with were children that had been, you know, horrifically abused and it, it just kind of moved from there. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, live up to this promise. What do you see your promise that you've made is? Yeah, my promise, um, I think deep down every person knows that they are a thing of wonder, actually. that For some of us, we look at us and we see ourselves as being sacred, that we're made in the image of God, and that with that comes this sort of, I mean, just that concept is full of bigness and largeness and uh, it's like a sacred you know it's just a sacred thing to be but another way you can look at this is that every, there's, a, there's sort of an atom within, within all of us that has come from every other thing that's ever lived is within us that we 
you know, there's an astrophysicist in the U.S., Neil deGrasse Tyson, who says that the atoms of all the exploded stars across the cosmos, we have parts of that in all of us. That, that also um, the Royal Astronomer in Cambridge in, in England talks about the fact that a human being is the perfect point of balance in our solar system. There are the same number of atoms in a human being as human beings would fit in the sun and that we represent the perfect point of balance in our solar system. So there's many different ways you can look at a human being. But I think what all of us know when we look in the mirror is that we're special and that that comes and that with that comes I don't know if responsibility is the right word. I think it's more like opportunity to like live a life that was well-lived and yeah. worthy of the gift that was given to us. Mm. Um, so here you are, you, you're sort of late teens, yep. early in your 20s, and you've said, all right, I'm, I'm committed to caring for the poor. Right? Yeah. This is my life. And mm -hmm. my understanding is that has never left you. No. Um, um, so what happened? How did you then go and start living that how do we get from there to being the ceo of world vision which is still all about <laughs> caring for people uh, yeah. who are poor around our world but um what was the the journey what were the steps as you went through that was it just exploration and that's just how you found yourself was that your sort of way of doing it yeah totally like i'm a learn as i go kind of guy right so the first thing i i, I actually just went back to the navy and i'm like guys i've just got to tell you um and it's going to shock you it shocked me, but I think God spoke to me and said I had to give my life to the poor. And they're like, you know, God's speaking to you. And I'm like, I'm as surprised as like anybody <laughs> is. Yep. And and I said, I don't think it's because of me personally. I just think maybe this is like a thing. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to go and like help poor people. Now, then I went to Sydney and I was like, where are poor people? Like I didn't. I'm I'm a 19 year old kid. I was in the navy. I come from Tamworth. I grew up on a farm. I was just the, I just wanted to be a pilot. And the navy's all I ever wanted to be. So it wasn't like I had a you know grounded knowledge and all of this stuff. So I just sort of began looking around, and so I started working with these kids. And um, after a while, realized I'm probably out of my depth in that. I'm like 20 years old, and it, you know it was a tough situation. But then I found another group of folks, and we just um, said, well, we should just take people in off the street and so we just rented a big house and we sent around a, we sent letters this is pre-emails and all pre-internet right this is 1988 we sent a letter around to prison halfway houses drug rehabs um, youth crisis centers and we said anyone that you have that's too wild for you just send them to us and we'll take them in and then that just started a journey from there of just pouring your life into that kind of work it then took me to Hong Kong where I was working in a slum and, and it was only at that time and what we used to, the way we used to pay for all of this was we would have jobs and then we would um, pool our money. We didn't realize they were like like that they were like people that gave grants for like we had no clue about yeah, any yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. yeah, we didn't realize that, that you could actually ask people and they may quote donate to you. Yeah, like right. it never even entered our heads that this was a possibility. And then when I was in Hong Kong I heard about these things. That there are these organizations that have like lots of money and they work all over the world. And then I struck me like, well, this would really help poor people. Yeah. Right. If you had all this money and you could do all these things, like maybe we could help, you know, get them out of that. And by poor people, that can be, it's a whole spectrum of different yeah. things. Refugees, there's people living in, you know, it's there's a whole bunch of different things you, that can put you into that. 
just into a situation where the life that you're living is not the life that you should be living. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then so there I heard about these NGOs. So I came back to Australia and I was I went to all of them and I went to a bunch of them and I said, you must have a job that's the worst job you have that no one else will do. I've just spent the last whatever number of years living on the street with poor people. I don't have all these formal qualifications that you guys have. So I'll take the worst job you have and I'll do it for free for six months. And at the end of that, if you like me, you can start paying me. <laughs> and the fifth guy I met, I was at Christian Children's Fund and he said, um, there's a quote from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy from Zayford Beeblebronx. That's, that's like, that's 10 out of 10 for, for style, but minus several million for good thinking. <laughs> and so, so he said a version of that. He goes, so you would come here, work for six months. We can send you anywhere in the world to the worst place we have. And you would do it all for free for six months. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do all that. And um, he said, you know, 10 out of 10 for style, minus several million for yeah. good thinking, but we'll hire you. And yeah. so I, you know, I got started in the NGO world, and then I went to Papua New Guinea. Not that that's the worst place, it's one of the most magical places on yeah. earth. Then Vietnam, and then Afghanistan, and then the tsunami, and then you go to Sierra Leone, and then I've just spent the last 25 years just going to all the major wars and disasters yeah. and all those kinds of things, and now I come back home. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of questions that especially spring to mind as I hear your story mm. there, and you know you've packed in thirty plus years in about you know three sentences. We 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 understand that you know a few minutes. One is there's a a, um, a remarkable sense of hearing that call all the way back then and still delivering on that. Mm. And, and and does that mean you've never doubted it? Does it mean you've never you know what thought is this still the thing I'm supposed to be doing? Is this where it's supposed to be? Has it always been off that one same call or do you get, I suppose, a fresh understanding as you go through each of these? This is still what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, I've had... Um, I've maybe had a couple of uh, of deepenings of the understanding of that, right? So as you walk into it, you don't really... A calling in that way for me is like an invitation to to go on a journey that's your life. And I think as you go on that journey, you learn and, and see and, um, you know, you dig in deeper. The first the way I understood the calling at first was that I was meant to live my life in service to poor people. Mm. Yep. What I learned very quickly, and I learned it sort of by accident, was a, another way of sort of thinking about that. And that's when I had this house, right? So what, what happened is in this house where we, you know, it's the one we sent the letters around. We, myself and these other three guys, we start this house and you have to pull all of your income and you had to, like we said, you had to have actually people living in your room with you. It wasn't like we were all in one room and then there were like these other rooms. You know, we put bunks in our room, so they, you had to live in the same room. But what happened was that um, we ended up having, within two years, four houses and then we had a farm. And it wasn't because of the need that people had to come to our house, it was because of the number of young people that wanted to have their own house. So mm. we had to, we couldn't keep match the demand of people who wanted to give and serve poor people. Yeah. And so what I learned there was um, that another way to think about my calling was that I'm in service to those who want to do good in the world. Yeah. yeah. So I think about it as being a servant to the idealism of everyday people. So how do you serve them into, you know, if we're called to do this, like for me, it's one of it's sort of one of life's great mysteries that the greatest realization a person has is of their own worth. But we only, and the mystery is, we only truly have that as we give of ourselves freely to another person. And so, if you want, if you really want a person to 
to see how worthy they are, what you need to do is give them a chance to give to somebody else. So then I spent sort of years doing that, but still very much focused on who were like the least all the time. Yeah. Yep. So I'm, I was like in the last 10 years, I've been working with refugees. Then when the migrant crisis happened in Latin America, I was down in the stadium with the caravan. If you remember that went through Latin America, I was in the gang violence areas of uh, uh, El Salvador. I actually was working, have spent the last 18 months working with trans refugees who were in a safe house in Nairobi. I mean, these are the only refugees that other refugees try to kill, yeah. you know, trans uh, refugees. Mm. It's, it's like an incredibly dangerous thing to be. So I'm trying to always find, like, who is the neediest one, yeah. right? What's the end of this? And the funniest thing is, I ended up here. Yeah. Like, that's the like the latest devil. I'm like, I'm looking around now and I'm going, isn't it funny now? Here I am in Australia, yeah. actually, and I'm surrounded by Australians. And it's like, I, I see that in a linear way, which is actually this right now, like, mm. you know, need is not obvious or it's not the way we think about it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to explore that specifically next. Uh, we're going to get to a, a song or two and then we're going to come back and explore that with Daniel as we... Uh, keep hearing his fascinating story but also the dreams and the visions and the opportunity through world vision australia here on 89.9 the light in conversation with clayton 89.9 the light you're in conversation with clayton daniel wordsworth is my guest the ceo of world vision australia and we've been hearing your story mm-hmm. uh, daniel one of those was that uh, you've, you've had this sort of conversation that has sprung up a couple of times in our chat already around um needing to be uh, serving the, the poorest of the poor, almost finding the, the poorest, as it were, has been a part of your life yeah. that you're digging into, that you've been pushing into. Um, there's also been this aspect of your life, which is I'm going to give it all, uh, whether that's I'm going to give literally pay it all myself and, and be a part of a, a home a, you know, as a, a late teenager and um, anything I earn just goes into that. There's this sort of duality of that seemed to go with that together, which leads me to the, the sense of, um, is there a bit of a craziness about you mixed with a little bit of a um, a, a hero ego part of it mm-hmm. all working for good here not trying to be yeah. a, in a negative aspect right that says this is sort of how God made you to say I, I'm going to chase this stuff I'm going to chase something that others wouldn't go near um, do you see that as actually a part of your world and, and then we want to say how did that bring you back to the being the CEO of World Vision. Is, have, am I reading you at least fairly? <laughs> uh, well, that I have, obviously, I have a big ego. Is no, that no, 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 that's not what I was meaning. <laughs> I, I was meaning this aspect of this this concept to chase, to chase something like that yeah. that you don't want to, and, and ego, not not in the dirty words. No, sense, I, I, have a, positive, I have a big, like, I have you want a, to get something. I have a very strong ego. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a... Um, no, I have an absolute relentless focus on doing what I'm meant to do and yeah. to live out my um yeah, live out my promise. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I have anything I have a proper perspective on why I'm here and what I'm meant to do and then I'm I view myself through the same lens as an athlete would or any high performer in their space. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. that in the space that I'm in, I'm I'm a high performer, and if in I'm like uh, top of my game. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's exactly. I think it's a beautiful analogy, right? Mm. Because there's something incredibly magnetic about the way you speak about what you're doing, mm. right? And it's and an athlete who is at the top of their game, they can be either completely full of themselves, mm-hmm. or they can just be going. Actually, 
this is where I'm at. This, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just acknowledging that. that. That's what we certainly see. Yeah. I think I certainly see in you. And, and it's something to be um, challenging just to be near, mm-hmm. um, to, to understand the way that you're about that. Is that something that you do sense that people, as they hear your story and they understand what you're going and the way that you approach life with all that, that you realize that there's a challenge just by having conversations with people? I don't ever try. I don't ha- carry with me any judgment about anybody else. Yep. Yep. So they don't feel that. Like I'm not the person that thi- I'm very clear. This is what I'm meant to do. Yeah, it's great. Yep. I don't. I actually have zero judgment for anybody else living the life that they're meant to do. Who am I to say what they yeah. should do? I have. That um, doesn't mean that I don't recognize that what's going on in the world is a result of a lot of our own self-centeredness, our own selfishness, our own wrongness. That there's a lot of things that we do as a society that's not right. But I don't actually blame any individual for that, and I don't expect them to li- live a life like the one that I've lived. Yeah. Even though it's been an awesome life, by the way, it's not like it's full of suffering. It's like a like a, it was a good one. Yeah, it was yeah. a fun one, like yeah, super yeah. fun one. Yeah, and it still is right. I get to wa- I get to wake up every morning and think this is just the most awesome thing ever. Yeah, yeah? and a part of that's part of my connection to World Vision. I'm going to change the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm re- absolutely all for that. And I get to do it with others. I don't want to do it by myself. That's also boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So, but um, am I intimidating maybe in that? Maybe, but I don't I hope not. I hope no. I'm inclusive and I hope uh, that I'm like welcoming and all that completely. stuff. I feel like that. Yeah, know? completely. I think there's a magnetism that you bring, which is mm-hmm. quite remarkable. And not many people have that about it. I think it's a great, great asset that you bring. Um, let's talk about that then. You know, you, you, you teased us a little bit before the song mm-hmm. as well. And you said, well, I went, I want to find the neediest of the needy, the, the poorest of the poor in the world. And I found myself back in Australia. Mm. And, and here I am as the CEO of World Vision Australia. Um, and perhaps most of us, we live in this Western world where we're self-sufficient, you know, as a community, this is, as a culture, this is where we're at. Why are you saying that to us? Yeah. What did you mean by that? Yeah, and actually I really experienced it in that calling sense, meaning I had no intention. I just had no, I just had no intention. Yeah. of doing any of this coming back here because I'm like no I'm I t- at the time I was very focused on the Latin like I was very focused on a set of things that were like the obvious ones right you know migrants I mean what's happening with migrant Latin America is appalling and the cra- and this work that I was doing with trans refugees was really like I'm like no again I th- I thought I was like right on my thing yes yeah? yes and then I wake up one day and it's very definite to me no, you're meant to go back and lead World Vision. Wow. Yeah. And I, I at, and I, even, frankly, even during the interview process, at one point it was like I was out of the running and I wrote to them and I said, look, I, I, I've never done this before, but I'm sorry, but actually I'm meant to be leading yeah. World Vision. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it turned out that it was true. Mm. Yeah. Now, why would it be, right? So I can, specu- be my next question, uh, yeah, I so, can speculate uh, why, yeah. right? I can speculate why. You don't ever really know. Right? That's, but I can speculate why. And that is that, um, and I think you were sharing some of this about when we were talking about what you learned. So you say, what is the overarching thing that I saw out of this? So the arc of my journey is this sort of constant um, desire to immerse myself in um, like suffering or scarcity or lack and so I've been in all of those places. So for the last 25 years, every conflict, every disaster, everything that you can imagine that's bad, 
I've been around it, right? Not, not causal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's all those things, yep. right? In Eastern Congo, inside Somalia, in Darfur, yes. in the cri- crime neighborhoods of El Salvador, uh, in uh, Colombia during the FARC and the Kali period, and all of his stuff, all of his things, that Lord's Resistance Army in northern Uganda, the IUF period in Sierra Leone, uh, Syria, I was in Damascus a year ago in Syria. So all of these places. Almost all the refugee, the largest refugee camp in the world for the Rohingya in Bangladesh, 430,000 people. I was in that refugee camp. So I've been into all of these places. I actually went into Burma and met with the Rohingya that are hiding inside of Burma. Mm. Yep, so not just in uh, Rohingya. So you then say, well, what, what did you find there? Mm. Right? So you're in that and you're in this environment. What do you find there? Well, the thing that shocked me that I found there was a set of three things. And it's the first thing, it's like descending shock value. The first one I was not expecting, the third one I was believing, and the second one I always you know, sort of guessed at. But the, the first one was this, that we think the world is scarce, we think the world is full of lack, we think that it's a zero sum, we think that there's not enough of everything. You know? And that somehow we're all in this competition to get what we can. There was, when I did that migrant caravan, I met two Honduran boys. And they were there in Tijuana in the stadium, and they were talking to me. And one of them said, um, is it true there's an army waiting for us on the other side of the border? That was the time when Trump uh, sent the military yeah. down. And is there an army there? And I said, not strictly for you, Tijuana. It's more like another part of Mexico and Nogales area. Yeah. I said, not technically true, but kind of true. And then he looked at me with his bewildered look, and he just said, um, you know, we're just, we're just little people. We just want a small piece of earth to live on. And it struck me at the time, it's like the most fundamental sort of, it's a, it's a fundamental question. Is there enough on earth for everybody? Is there enough space? Surely it's the most basic human right, is the right to ask for a piece of earth that you can grow up on and make a life on. It's the most basic thing. And um, if you come at that through a Christian lens, the answer must be yes. There's no other way around that. It, of course there is a space for everybody. Yeah. And in fact... To abundance. Yeah. Yeah. So the world is much better than everybody thinks it is. And again, I get to speak to that with some... With, some people could say that it would seem naive. Yeah. But I'm the opposite of naive. I've been to all... You, you, yeah. you can't That's show me anything that I'm not like, no, I, yeah, no, I know about that. Yeah. Actually, I've seen that personally. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, that is all small in compared... The people say, is there evil in the world? Of course there is. Are there bad people? There are very bad people. It's just the goodness is always far overwhelming. Even in those environments, yeah. the goodness is far overwhelming. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yeah. So the world is good, lesson one. Much better than people think, actually, in a, to a shocking degree. The second point, human beings, I think we're looking at them with fear and we think, are these, can we trust, are human beings good or bad? I think this is a key question. After doing all of this work, I know with certainty that human beings are good. But what I've learned in that is that they, they typically, they live to the level of expectation. Mm. If you look at a human being and think they're going to be small, mean, nasty, they seem to go to great effort to become that. America's a great example of this in the last 10 years, maybe. Yeah. If, the, if you believe that they're, they're, can't be trusted, they transform themselves into that. 
But if you believe that they're good and noble and well-intentioned and trustworthy, they rise to that to a shocking degree. And so people are fundamentally good, but they react to our belief in them. And the third thing is that's key is can a human being actually make a difference? And I think there's a real crisis of belief that we have in the world right now. We're like with Russians and Facebook and all the America. We're like, we're all just cogs in a wheel. and There's nothing that we can do to make the world better. Now, I know with absolute certainty that there are so many things that all of us can do on a daily basis to make the world better. One thing, because we're, like, we're all here together, we can actually all work together to do remarkable things. So my observation is, of course, you can do things. So the world is abundant, like amazing. Secondly, people are good. And thirdly, there's lots we can do to actually make the world much better. Now, I think I'm back in Australia because there's this narrative that's being talked about all over the world right now that's in the opposite to what I'm saying. I think I can speak into that space and say none of that stuff is true. And I have some credibility when I say it. And when I work with World Vision, I have credibility because World Vision also has credibility. Yeah. When we say the world is better than you think, people are like, really? Because we thought you guys would say it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then are you, aren't you the ones that are meant to be all cynical and, and pessimistic? Yeah. And we're like, we're the most optimistic people. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm maybe coming back to just remind Australians that it's all much better than they think and that we can do more than we think. Yeah. And do you think that's going to be, this is too simplistic a word, does that get channeled into certain areas that you see of change, whether that's mindset or action or... Um, you know, uh, alleviation of poverty in certain areas or whatever it might be. Do you, do you think it actually gets, do you see, I suppose, did you already have the vision of where you think that that, that concept of that mind change might actually le- lead to? I have a way that we at World Vision will channel it, but, it, but I don't want to limit it to that. Yeah. So I'd rather, I, I want to speak more generally and just say, um, if you suddenly, if you woke up one day and you thought, this world is amazing and abundant, and there's more than... So people say, well, what do you mean by abundance? And I say, the answer, abundance means more than you think. So people say, do you mean money? And I go, yeah, no, no, it's much more than you think. Do you mean political will? And I'm like, actually, if it's much more than you think. Do you, do you mean ideas? Oh, there's many more ideas. In every single thing you can imagine, there's much more. And then people go, got you. We've got you on one thing. I go, what is that? They go, time. And then I say, well, if you get a million people doing, spending an hour a day on a thing, you've got an abundance of time. Of course, there's more time than you think. There's like all of these things, there's more than you think. Yeah. Yeah. So then I just want to leave it. Then I want to say to the person, and you're awesome, right? You're amazing. You're sacred and wondrous. You're better than you think you are. You have more promise than, than, and, and, and you know deep down maybe that you're not living up to your promise, but you know you want to. You want to look in the mirror and be proud of what you see. And when your children look at you, you want them to be proud of you. Yeah. You know it. You want it. And you just need to step into it. And then you pick what it is you want to change, right? So you pick your little third thing that you want to work on. Now, if you care about some things that we care about, World Vision embraces you or wants you as part of our you know, family of change, if you like. So some of the things we focus on, I'll just highlight three things that, that we're going to be working on. One of them is the most obvious. There are too many children suffering around the world on a daily basis, and we are in this massive movement to stop it. Now, whether that's early marriage, whether that's sickness with diarrhea because of a lack of uh, you know, decent clean water, whether that's no economic opportunities and where to create a life, whether that's being stuck in a refugee camp for 17 years, whether that's being caught in Syria in the middle of a war, if you're the person that says, I don't think children should suffer, I want to make a difference in that. I mean, honestly... 
That's a pretty compelling one. And there aren't many people that go, no, nah, no, that's no, I don't. Actually, I can live with that one. So I'm like, no, we have like the mother of all, like, no, you could join us on this one. Yeah. Yep. The beauty of that one, right, is you say to a seven-year-old, there are other kids suffering. They're like, well, I want to help stop it. You say to a 70-year-old, I'll stop it. You say to a Muslim, I'll stop it. Christian, I'll stop it. Who, man, woman. This one's beautiful yeah. because it's, um, who, what human being doesn't want that? But alongside of that, there's a situation for First Nations people in this country where we have got all of us look at that and go, it's a gaping wound and it has to be fixed. And at the same time, we have this no belief. It's one of the things that's really shocked me coming back here is just the lack of belief. Even people that you normally have, like you would think, uh, they get triggered by this subject, right? It's like, I can believe, you know, stuff in Africa, whatever you guys are doing, but that one, I don't want to go anywhere near that one. But I'm like, that's the best one. That's like a super cool one. Like, why don't we just, let's just bring an end to this. Let's just work on this for a generation and then bring an end. And what do I mean bring an end? This whole stop the, this community of people who are a vibrant jewel in our sort of society's soul, right? They, um, they are not living the lives of meaning that they want to have. They want to be able to show up in a world in a way that they define and they want to be able to define that for their own kids and for themselves. They want to live a life of fullness in that space alongside of us, non-Indigenous people. And I think all of us agree that they should be able to do that. So we're just going to like work on that and make it happen. Mm. So if you're like, I'm passionate about First Nations people, then call us up because we are too. And then the third one is climate. Obviously, we've got to do something about climate. And the, the, the amazing thing about World Vision Australia is we actually have one of the greatest climate things that I've ever seen, interventions I've ever seen. Like we can like grow forests by the millions of hectares. Yeah. And so we're like, let's go and crack climate. Let's stop the Sahara. Yeah. So those are some of the ways we're yeah. going to channel our stuff. Sounds fantastic. And we've mm-hmm. certainly had uh, people from World Vision, uh, Tony Renato, here in, oh, in, in, in yeah, having a Tony. chat about that. We've, we've <laughs> talked to him about exactly growing those trees and the yeah. incredible change that it can occur. Um, Daniel, thank you for living your life. And I think that's what I take most out of your story, right? That you said, I'm going to live it. And this is where I find myself. And, and, and as much as you've said, I'm going to live my life, you've said, I can do it better than when I put it, my life in with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such an encouragement as we go forward. We wish you all the best. And I'm sure that um, those who are people who are, are, are people of faith who might pray will be praying for you as they're they're listening today and we are all the rest of us wish you the best as well as we go forward thank you so much for your time thank you Clayton Daniel Wordsworth my guest he is the CEO of World Vision Australia here on 89.9 The Light